Thank you for downloading this sermon from Grace Presbyterian Church. Grace is a church where people seeking more grace, more depth, and more community can start finding their way and sharing their gifts with the world. You can follow us online at graceforsufalls.org. As I said before, Advent is a season of longing. We're waiting for Christmas. We're waiting symbolically for Christ to return. During this season of Advent, I often ask you to consider why we're waiting. Why is it that the return of Christ is such good news? What is it that we're waiting for? If you think about it, Matthew's gospel has made us wait too. We've been waiting for Jesus, waiting to hear from him. And for four chapters, Matthew has sort of built suspense. He's given us glimpses of Jesus. He's told us about Jesus. He shared with us what you might think of as sound bites from the speech of Jesus. But now in chapter five, we finally get what we've been waiting for. We finally get to hear from Jesus himself. We get to hear him teach. This is what we've been waiting for. Now we get to dive in. This Advent, our plan is to explore the Beatitudes together. Those verses that we just read where Jesus pronounces certain people as blessed or blessed, if you prefer, those statements are what we are going to contemplate over the next few weeks. Here we find Jesus, who we've already heard in chapter 4, is calling people to repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, telling us what the arrival of the kingdom actually means, what it means to live in his kingdom. What it means to live in his kingdom, it turns out, is blessing. So this morning, by way of introduction, we're going to start very simply and focus on one question, which is, what does it mean to be blessed? What does Jesus mean when he says blessed or blessed? What is the point of that word? Now, unlike a lot of Bible words, blessed is not a word that has fallen out of use. Blessed is still a word that we use all the time. You may find yourself using it a lot. People on social media often use it as well. Pious people when they're posting photographs of their gorgeous houses and their sweet vacations and their new cars, if they're pious, they don't post the new car and say, look at this sweet car that I have. It makes me a better person than you because you do not possess such a vehicle or house or vacation or what have you. No. If you're a good Christian person, a humble person, you don't say that at all. Instead, you post the car, the house, the vacation, and you say, I am so blessed. I'm so blessed. It means the same thing, but it sounds better. When we say that we are blessed, we're using that word blessed as a synonym for a word like fortunate or lucky. Because again, pious people don't believe in fortune and luck. We believe in blessing, but it means the same thing. It means we have good stuff. We have good experiences. We have loving relationships. We have what everybody wants. We have at least some of the stuff that makes you happy. That's what we mean when we say that we are blessed. When we say, I'm so blessed, we mean I enjoy 
benefits, especially in comparison to other people. Now, not necessarily boasting that we're better than other people. It's not so much that I'm better than other people, and that's what makes me blessed, although sometimes, clearly, that is implied. But rather, it's that we have it better than others. It's not that we're better. It's that we have it better. We have better circumstances. We have better blessings than others. We enjoy a better life than other people do, and for that, we are grateful. You'll hear a lot of people say things like this when they return from those gorgeous vacations that they've tempted us with, with the beautiful photographs. They'll get home and they'll say, we are so blessed to live in America. And when they say that, they don't mean, hey, humans are humans. Every country is a great place to live, and I'm sure every place has a way in which it excels. They mean this is the best country. It's much better than all those other places. I'd much rather live here. I'm fortunate to live here. I'm blessed to have this good place to live. I did some research for my sermon. I scrolled through Instagram just to make sure that I was right about what I'm saying, and and here's my findings. No one pauses when they're at the dumpster, digging through it, looking for their next meal. No one pauses to take a selfie to post to say, I am so blessed. No one pauses in the midst of begging, take a selfie, and say, I'm so blessed to depend on random strangers to give me a handout. No one broken down on the side of the road takes a selfie in front of their smoking car and says, I am so blessed. They may take that picture, but that's not the caption underneath. People who are experiencing those things don't say that because they don't feel that, because they aren't that, because they know that they're not blessed. No one who's living paycheck to paycheck, no one who's scrambling to make ends meet feels blessed because they know that they're not blessed, because that's not what blessing is. They're not blessed, they're miserable. In a covenantal framework, in the Old Testament understanding of covenant, blessings are a part of a covenant relationship. But they're not the only part. There's two parts. There's blessings, and there's also curses. Blessings for obedience. Blessings for righteousness. Curses for disobedience. Curses for unfaithfulness. The blessings suggest God's favor. The curses suggest God's disfavor. That's true covenantally, but it's also true for us as well. It's how we interpret people's circumstances. We look at people who enjoy blessing, and we see people who enjoy God's favor. We look at people who endure curses, and we see people who've done something wrong. People who have God's disfavor made bad choices. The Greek word here, uh, blessing, makarios, is an interesting word because a synonym for makarios is not just blessing, but happiness. So not just blessed are they, but happy are they. That's what's suggested here in Jesus' words. A, a, a pronouncement of blessing is a pronouncement of happiness, a pronouncement 
of joy. And yet, when Jesus says these things, he uses that word wrongly, or so it seems. Jesus pronounces blessing on people that we can look at and see do not possess it. He's calling people blessed who we would look at and say, actually, those people seem to be cursed. They're living the life we don't want to live. We do not aspire to. And yet Jesus says they are blessed. Now, in Luke's gospel, before Luke gets to the point where we're at, the Sermon on the Mount, some interesting things happen that Matthew doesn't record. And when we talked about the baptism of Jesus, we looked at one of those things. You may remember in Luke chapter 4, we looked at uh, Jesus going into the synagogue and preaching kind of like his first sermon in Nazareth. Do you remember that? He reads from a scroll before the people, and the scroll happens to be the Isaiah scroll. And the text that he reads is from Isaiah 61. And after he finishes like a boss, he rolls up that scroll and says, you've just heard these words, and now you're seeing them fulfilled before your eyes. Words to that effect. But the text that he reads is interesting. This is Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Good news to the poor. That's the way Isaiah describes Jesus' gospel mission, to proclaim good news to the poor. And now Jesus comes to speak. He gathers all these people together. They've heard about him. They've come to hear from him. He opens his mouth to speak to them, and he proclaims first, before everything else that he says, good news to the poor. That's what the Beatitudes are. They are the fulfillment of that prophecy of Isaiah, that when the Messiah comes, he will bring with him good news, and he will bring it for the poor. He will bring blessing to those who are cursed, because, as we saw last time, his message and his kingdom will turn the world upside down. The values of the world, the hierarchy of the world, will be turned upside down, and what was low will be exalted. That's what it's all about. So blessing, the way that Jesus uses it, has this upside-down quality to it. Jesus is, is pronouncing blessing on people who are at the bottom, not people who are at the top. The coming of his kingdom turns it all upside down. And the words of Jesus illustrate this starkly. Now, the kingdom, he says, is at hand. The kingdom is here. And when we talk about the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, we often use those qualifying terms that it is already and not yet. The kingdom is already here. John the Baptist said it. Jesus is saying it now. The signs that he performs are proof that the kingdom is here. It is already present. And yet, it is not yet come to fruition. It has not yet come to fullness. The kingdom is still advancing. The kingdom is still progressing and will only come to that fullness when Christ comes again. Now, because of that, because the kingdom is here, 
now and not yet fully realized. That means that those who receive the kingdom must live the values of the kingdom, but must live them now, here in this place. So it's almost as if we have a kingdom within a kingdom. We have an order within an order, an old order that is passing away, that kingdom of death and sin, and within it a new order, a kingdom of life that is emerging and that is growing. But now, in this time before Christ's first coming and his second, we live with this tension because we're still in the fallen world. We are still in a world full of sin and death and hardship, full of curses. And yet we live to call, or we're called to live according to this new way of living, which Jesus now proclaims. Which is why when people talk about the Sermon on the Mount, they talk about the Beatitudes, the the phrase you'll often hear is that what Jesus is going to give us is a, a kingdom ethic. He's going to give us like a new way of living in the kingdom. He's going to tell us how to live a kingdom life in the here and now. But when you hear that way of describing these words, I think it's easy to misunderstand what that means and to take it the wrong way. Uh, Jesus is talking about blessing in an upside down way. I don't want you to try to right side up it. I don't want you to hear these words and immediately try to to, to flip it back over and and make it all make sense the way that we're accustomed to thinking of how the world works. In other words, I don't want you to hear Jesus talking about who is blessed and, and then take this in some moralistic way that what Jesus is doing is telling us what to do in order to be blessed. We can read the Beatitudes and read them as if Jesus is saying, make yourself poor and you will get the kingdom. Be meek and you will inherit the earth so that you leave here and on top of all of your other blessings, you say, I need to add the perfection of poverty of spirit. And I need to add a little meekness in there as well so that I might level up in my blessings. That's not what Jesus is saying. We consider ourselves blessed because of our material prosperity, but the Beatitudes are not teaching us how to cap that off with some spiritual values as well. The Beatitudes are not giving us a program so that people who enjoy abundance can also have a little self-reflection and be a little deeper and not so shallow anymore. Something different is happening here. And before we think about what we should do, we need to reflect on what these words of blessing really mean. And if you want to understand what they really mean, there's just one phrase you need to keep in mind having to do with the kingdom. Just never forget this. The kingdom is being received, not earned. The kingdom that Jesus is talking about is a kingdom that can be received but never earned. And the people that Jesus is pronouncing blessing upon are receiving blessing, not earning it. Look at the way that each of the Beatitudes is constructed. These terms have a similarity to them that's unusual. This isn't often the way that Jesus' teaching goes, but there's a repetitiveness to these words. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's the beginning. If you go to the end, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. There's a repetition at the end of both of those phrases, which interpreters call an inclusio. 
It's a, uh, an artistic device to show the beginning and the end of a thought or an idea. The repetition of the words is like brackets to show all this stuff goes together. We probably don't need the clue, though, because the repetition of the words at the beginning shows us that there's a similarity as well. Over and over again, makarios, makarios, blessed are, blessed are. And each time you get this kind of three-part structure. First, there's this pronunciation of blessedness. And then there's this description of the condition of the people who are receiving the blessing. And then finally, there's a benefit that they're receiving. But the benefit has what you might think of as like a paradoxical quality to it. Like Jesus is attributing a benefit to people who you wouldn't think would receive this benefit based on who they are. So blessed are, that's the pronunciation of blessedness. Here's the description of condition, the poor in spirit. The poor in spirit, that's their condition. That's the way they are. They are blessed because for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, in the old order, the old way of thinking, those who are poor and bereaved appear to be cursed. Those who are meek instead of strong, they seem to be contemptible. Those who hunger and thirst are victims of their own bad choices, or worse, they're victims of fate. Bad things happen to bad people. By definition, if good things are happening to you, then you must be a good person. You must be blessed. But here, Jesus flips that. Here, the despised and the rejected, those who are apparently cursed, are used to illustrate a spiritual reality that we have to come to recognize. Now, what is that reality? We'll get to that, but first I want you to think about a couple of things. So what I'm saying is, Jesus is using this idea of poverty, of brokenness, of, of mourning as a metaphor. He's speaking about a spiritual condition, not a physical condition. But let me qualify that first by saying, don't think that because Jesus is using the physical condition to talk about a spiritual condition, that the things he's saying aren't true about those in this physical condition. Don't tell yourself that because Matthew says, blessed are the poor in spirit, that Jesus doesn't care about the poor in reality. Because to believe that, you need to scratch out a whole lot of stuff in your Bible. Instead, Jesus is taking a physical thing that he cares about deeply, that God cares about deeply, and using it to illustrate a spiritual condition that he's talking about here. Now, there's some clues that that's what he's doing in these qualifying words, that he refers to the poor in spirit. He talks about those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, those who are pure in heart. So it's clear that he's inviting us to think about an internal, a spiritual condition. Here's another thing to think about, too. Is Jesus here 
giving us a list of eight kinds of people, eight types or classes of people, so that you might look at this and say, okay, poor, no, not, not interested, mourning, rather not, but meekness I think I could do. Maybe that's the one I'll sign up for. Is it like that, that there are meek people and they get good things, but there are also poor people and they get good things? Or is it something else? Is what Jesus is doing here not giving us eight types or eight paths, but maybe giving us eight aspects of one condition? Maybe Jesus here is painting a portrait with eight brush strokes, and all of it builds, all of it goes together. He's talking about a spiritual condition that partakes of all of these things that he's describing. So it's not that some people get to see God, other people get to be called sons of God, other people just receive mercy. All of it goes together when it comes to the condition and also when it comes to the benefits as well. So if we keep those things in mind, we can look at the Beatitudes and we can see that Jesus is describing a spiritual condition that doesn't result or earn blessing, but receives blessings graciously. So Jesus is not giving us a program of behavior modification. Right? What you shouldn't do this morning is leave with a list of things to work on. Like try to improve your meekness, try to improve your poverty in spirits, that kind of thing. There is some doing to this, obviously. There, there is a how-to-do in the Beatitudes, but before we think about the how-to-do, I want to think about the how-to-be. How-to-be. Jesus speaking about how we ought to be, our condition, and how we should feel, live, and experience that condition. As we look at the Beatitudes, especially the, the last four, you'll see there is a, a, a movement Right, a shift that seems to be a shift from being to doing, that you can be poor in spirit, but, but being merciful is like a thing you do. So we will talk about the doing. But today, I want to rest on the being and think about the being. It's not that by being these things, we bring in the kingdom. Rather, the kingdom comes as a blessing to those who manifest or experience these things, who struggle with these things even. So the blessing that Jesus is proclaiming is a blessing to the broken. That's the new order of his kingdom, that those who are broken are blessed. Those who are broken, the people who he mentions here, they are not blessed because they are virtuous. They don't manifest these spiritual conditions because they are virtuous people. And that's often the way we think about it, that we aspire to meekness, that we aspire to uh, being poor in spirits, almost as if it's some sort of Zen-like state. People are made this way. They don't make themselves this way. This is what their condition has done to them. They have been broken. They have been humbled. They have come to recognize that they're not on the top. They have come to recognize that they can't, can't take for granted that they can take care of themselves. These are realizations more than they are virtues. The thing that we're talking about here is not spiritual perfections. 
its spiritual dependence. The poor in spirit are surely not people who've managed to impoverish themselves spiritually. They are people who have come to realize all that they lack spiritually. People who recognize that they don't possess within themselves some spirituality to offer up on the altar of sacrifice in order to merit blessing. What they're conscious of is that they live in their own brokenness, their fallenness. They've come to know that their hope can only come from the outside. That they need the kingdom to come. That there is no other way that they will be blessed. That the only way that they can enjoy the things that make for happiness is if someone were to come and turn the whole order of things upside down. Because if that doesn't happen, then we will always be at the bottom. That's who these people are. That's the realization that Jesus is describing. So in eight brushstrokes, he paints a portrait of one who has been impoverished by sin, of one who grieves the damage that sin has caused, one who has been humbled, who longs for righteousness, who longs for justice in the world, because if so much injustice directed at them, at the people on the bottom, someone who wants to fight back, against the kingdom of this world by showing mercy instead of crushing people, by seeking purity instead of exploitation, by making peace instead of destroying your enemies, by being willing to do what's right in the face of the world, even though the world will punish you for it, having that kind of the defiance, the defiance of the one who is broken. These are the people that Christ is talking about. These are the people that we are as a result of what God has done in us. Not from any righteousness that we brought to the table, not from any realization. We didn't meditate and reflect long enough until we became poor in spirit. If we are poor in spirit, it's because the world has made us so. Because we've come to realize how little we have and how little we possess. But that's what makes the kingdom such good news. Because for people who recognize they have no hope as long as the the way of the world remains in place, the kingdom of Christ comes and says, don't worry, the way of the world is not going to remain in place. I'm here to overturn it. The kingdom is good news for those who repent and receive the blessing, who repent and receive the king who's come. Jesus is here to raise up those whose sin has crushed us underfoot. He's come to put us side by side with him. I want to leave you for now with some words of Sinclair Ferguson's. He writes about the Beatitudes. He writes about the Sermon on the Mount. And he points out that Jesus' sermon is not about an ideal life in an ideal world. It's about the kingdom life in a fallen world. And that's the beauty of what Jesus does in the Beatitudes, that he's declaring victory here in the midst of the old order, that he's planting this new reality in the midst of the old, and he's not only calling us to live this new life in the midst of the old, but he's giving us the spirit and the power to do the thing that he has called us to do. This is the way the world No one at the top wants to see things shaken up. No one who has it all wants to see a redistribution of blessings. Not at all. 
Everything is fine the way it is. The people who want to see everything turned upside down are always the people at the bottom. Jesus comes and brings good news to those spiritually who know that they are at the bottom. Because everybody who thinks they're at the top is just deceiving themselves. We are poor in spirit, whether we realize it or not. We may tell ourselves that we are rich. We may tell ourselves that we are not standing in much need of what the kingdom has to offer. But the reality is that we are poor. The reality is that we are broken. The reality is that all of you need what Jesus is speaking of here. All of you need to receive the blessing that Jesus is speaking of here. And that involves recognizing the state that we are truly in and receiving the King was promised to bring it all about. Jesus proclaims good news to you in your poverty. It's not just good news for the life to come. It's not just eventually everything will be made right, but that even now, In the midst of all the wrong, Jesus is beginning to do right, beginning to give blessings to those who least deserve them. We must count ourselves in that company. Thank you for listening. You can find more sermons from Grace and information about joining us for worship by visiting our website at graceforsufalls.org. We also invite you to visit the iTunes store and subscribe to the Sermons of Grace podcast.